Radio TFS, episode 36. I'm Mickey Gousset. And I'm Greg Duncan. And I'm Martin Woodward. And we'd like to give a shout-out to our co-host, Paul. Paul, get well soon. So, Greg, what have you been seeing in the news that we might care about lately? Uh, one of the first things is uh, Tech Ed registrations opened. It's going to be held in uh, June 29th, uh, 26th through 29th in Amsterdam. Oh, Amsterdam, eh? It's a change. It was in. Uh, it's been in Berlin the past couple of years, and in Spain just before that. So it's good to go back to Amsterdam. So, are you guys uh, presenting this year there? Um, I probably will be both North America and Amsterdam. Mickey doesn't actually know if he's presenting or not yet because because nope. I haven't. Because uh, I yeah because uh, the X. I am the. I'm sort of help look after who gets to speak at TechEd or not. <laughs> so so ah. I've, sub- I've submitted. Let's put it that way. I've not okay. heard back yet though. Great. What about, great. what about yourself? Uh, no, I'm not presenting anywhere. I'm actually trying to, uh, based off of our sh- talk last week, uh, I'm going to be starting some brown bag sessions at work to do some uh, uh, dev share kind of presentations to get my feet wet before I start going out and presenting to wild audiences. So, so Martin, you being a, the overseas person on the call what's the difference would you say or is there one between tech ed europe versus tech ed north america if i had to choose one or the other to go to or is there one better than the other that i should go to um no not really the um i mean it's obviously you know europe's closer to you if you're in europe but uh there's um europe is just slightly smaller only only slightly in terms of sessions I think it's about um, two thirds the number of sessions to say TechEd North America, whereas TechEd tech North America is in Orlando this year. Um, that's June 11th to June 14th, and uh, that's uh, you know it's a huge conference center in Orlando, so it's spread out and you know lots of walking and things. But there's more breakout, slightly more breakout sessions there. So that's probably the main difference in terms of like atmosphere and things. The you know they're both they're both quite similar they don't do a big um you know in america you get the big attendee party you know, they hire like they'll hire some big well we used to anyway hire a big um theme park or something like that and you mm-hmm. they don't do that in in the european ones instead what we tend to do is have um country events so the um the the individual countries will kind of like round up people from each of their countries and trying to you know try and get together as a as a country inside of this bigger European event, which is I actually prefer that because I never go to the attendee parties because you know you spend end up spending ages queuing for things and you know I never never not a huge fan of theme parks and stuff anyway so uh, yeah I quite like the way they do it in Europe but no the contents but this time this year as well because TechEd uh, North America and TechEd EMEA um, are so close together. The content I'm expecting to be pretty similar between the two. Oh, that's right, because they are only two weeks apart. Yeah, yeah. Normally, they're like you have TechEd Americas in the summer, and TechEd EMEA is in like the late, you know, in the sort of November time. But this year, they've decided to put them quite close together in the summer. So uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's interesting. Makes makes it fun to try and coordinate speakers to go to both <laughs> in the product group. I can tell you. So, uh, but we we don't seem to have any shortage of volunteers to go over to Amsterdam for some reason. Imagine <laughs> that. Yeah, funny that. So Mickey, you've been writing some articles on uh, Visual Studio Magazine. 
Yes, one of the, one of the things I do is, is is write an online column at Visual Studio Magazine called um, Inside TFS, where we cover where I try to cover all the different aspects of both not just TFS but also the ALM and, and testing tools and other tools that are available in Visual Studio as well. But one of the things I've been excited about is being able to write on uh, the developer preview. So there's a couple of new articles that, that just went up, um, one of which you can find at tinyurl.com slash mgtfs11, so mgtfs11, which is on the My Work page, which is a new, uh, a new section in Team Explorer. So have you looked at, at Visual Studio 11 and TFS 11 and looked at the new Team Explorer yet, Greg? A little bit, a little bit. And that one, that, that tab, that area kind of, it's, it's a pretty, drastic change in in my workflow and, and it, i'm trying to get my wrap my head around it and i i think in the end it's actually it is going to help but it's just it, it really is kind of different for me so i i'm actually looking forward to it but it is a change yes i agree they the, the way the the new team explorer is takes takes a little getting used to and in, in my opinion i honestly initially didn't like some of the changes but now that i've been playing with it for a while it's 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 grown on me. One of the things that I like about the my the my work page specifically is it's basically a way to keep yourself more organized because it can show you the te- the the work items that you're supposed to be working on. You can actually move them to what's called an in progress section that shows. So basically, you're able to easily see these work items are now the specific thing I'm working on today, and then. You, you have the ability to, to easily do um, change sets. I mean, not change sets, but easily do um, shelf sets. You can. There's a new feature called code review where you can request code reviews, and yeah, all of this yeah, stuff. I saw that. All this stuff happens inside of of Team Explorer window. So you're you're no longer having to necessarily have all these other modal windows and all these other windows that pop up that you have to do something with. I mean, um, I mean, all the activity happens right there in the Team Explorer window. It's going to be just, I mean, I think people, it's going to be a change. It's definitely going to be a wow. This is completely different because this is the one thing they haven't really changed in the past three editions. But I think people are really ultimately going to find it much more helpful for them to do their work. Yeah, so what, what did you find particularly jarring at first, Mickey, when you first started using it? I see. I'm trying to remember. There was a couple of things where I'm used to right-clicking to do something, mm. like I think, and and my right-click menu was no longer there, hmm. or at least whatever it was specific that I was trying to right-click to do. And it was something around work items, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. But I've gotten past that. Obviously, I figured out how to do it using using the new the new um, features. Yeah. And. It takes a little getting used to the fact that essentially I look at Team Explorer almost like a web page now because you have a back and forth button so you can go yeah. backwards. You can got a home page now. So have you seen the little drop down menu thing as well? I'm not sure yes. actually. Yes. Okay. Yep. We've done a lot of we've we've done some tweaks <laughs> to it since um since the developer preview as well. So whenever the next preview comes out, hopefully hopefully some of those little things you found jarring will have gone away by the time you get to play the next next round of bits. So, Martin, can you give us any? Do you have any insight that you're able to share as to why they went this route? Or is there any? Is there any major thinking or feeling, or was it just a? It's time, and we're going to do it. Oh no! It it was to try and get everything. Well, it was, it was to reduce the amount of over information, but get get more information about what you're currently doing in front of you and and there, um, and make it extendable as well for the future so um for example the my work thing's all about making things context sensitive you know and, and making it so 
you you know you can shelve easily uh, you can swap tasks easily and and generally make it focused around you know a developer workflow but then they also did some changes like um builds is on a a separate page now um and rather than you know there's uh like rather than putting builds into folders and having folder hierarchies and giving you a very hierarchical view of data wanted to try and people are more used to sort of searching for stuff and just having a general amount of data but servicing what's of value to you so you can you will see at the top of your builds you know what my builds are um and you'll also you can also like pin sort of favorite builds and team builds and mm. things like that and and have and get some summary information on there so yeah it was just all about keeping the data relevant to you in the context that you're currently working in another big set of changes actually thinking about it were around things like pending changes and also um things like change set details mm-hmm. rather than them being um wanted it so you could keep the change set details is a great example if you do change set details today in, in visual studio 2010 you know you right click on a change set in history do details and you get a modal dialog that pops up with the change set details in and then the first thing you always want to do is say well this was a change i did you know three weeks ago i affected these files i want to go look at these files again now but you can't because that dialogue's modal and so you have to close it and then like go open one file, open it back up again, you know, and look at it and go and open another. Or I find myself quite often taking a screenshot of that dialogue <laughs> and leaving that on a different area of my screen. Wow. And that's just, and you think, oh, that's just, that's just bad design. So by what we've done with change the details is that's now our page as well in Team Navigator, uh, Team Explorer, sorry. And, um, it, it shows you, um, you know, it just stays there and we've got rid of a lot of the modal parts of the old experience. So hopefully it's good. Funnily enough, we've actually just been doing this similar sort of experience over in the um, Eclipse world. So again, for the next the next round of previews and stuff, you'll be able to see all that Team Explorer um, newness from Eclipse as well. So there you go. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh-huh. So Martin, some, one of the other things I want to, to ask about is, are there any new updates to the TFS preview? Yeah, it's funny. We're actually the TFS preview site gets updated. So people that don't know, and if you're listening to the show, you probably hopefully know already. But if you go to tfspreview.com, um, it's where we have a hosted instance of Team Foundation Server that um, is running in Azure, and um, we're using it to preview the next version of TFS. You know, not and it helps not just you because you get to play with the next version of TFS and you can use it for all your projects because it, it, it's currently uh, free of charge. We will be charging when it's a full service, but currently there's no charge. Um, but it also helps us because we get real live feedback. You know, one of the problems in previous releases is people play with the bits, but it, until they use them in anger, it's really hard to get real feedback from people. <laughs> oh, but, that's awesome. Well, the problem is, is that like it's a lot to ask get someone to stand up a tfs server and upgrade data and blah 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 yeah. um and so the and we need to get to a certain level of quality before we ship the bits out and so on and so it's usually sort of late in the beta cycle before we're getting real feedback from people on what the server's doing <clears throat> quite often that's too late frankly because you know we can't do any major changes to the service by then we've got to we're kind of just looking to fix bugs and 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 you know tweak things we can't really change anything hugely so with the, with the preview in azure we you know we update that all the time and i mean literally all the time every sort of um every three weeks we, we do three week sprints in tfs and every three weeks you know a new drop goes up there um but even even during that time, you know, during the week, we have like little 
you know, registry bits that we can switch on and off that enable and disable features and upgrade projects and things. And so even during a week, you know, there'll be several updates in a week, several, you know, sometimes a, a few, several updates in a day to the site and we can tweak things and see how that's affected performance and, you know, see if that's fixed particular bugs people were seeing. So yeah, it's good. So that's what we're doing. And then there was a release. No, nobody probably noticed, but I released, we, we did a sprint recently and then a new build went up. I think it was around January 17th, something like that. And I tell you what, my favorite, my favorite feature got added. So, you know, web access in the new version of TFS is awesome and yeah. just amazing. And like, it's just a pleasure to use. I find myself, it's so pleasurable now. I actually find I'm only really doing version control in Visual Studio and Eclipse nowadays. I actually keep a separate browser window up to do all like my agile planning and my work item tracking and stuff because it's just great. So, um, but the, it, it's got a lot of keyboard shortcuts in, you know, like up, down, cursor keys and things work and tab works and all that. It, you know, keyboard shortcuts work inside this web app. But the thing they added in this last release was control S, so, which is great. <laughs> so now when I'm in a work item, I can do control S and it saves the work item. And I, I found myself constantly hitting Control S, and I would get the browser, you know, save this HTML page like dialog pop up. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, I'm in a browser, I forgot. But uh, no, I can hit Control S, and it saves the work item now. It was like, wow, that's amazing. It's so, the little things. Isn't it, it is. It really is. And there's just a ton of those going in, and we can do those and and get like real data about what people are doing and how they're finding the service. And so, no, I'm really pleased with how we're with how we're doing that. Which reminds me, we had an email um, at for, to uh, radiotfs at gmail.com. There you go. There's a plug. From uh, from Grant Holiday. We spoke about uh, the god that is Grant Holiday in the last episode. <laughs> and um, he was correcting me because we were talking about hosted TFS and on what I was calling on-premise TFS. You know, TFS you install locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he corrected me, but it's actually on-premises, not on-premise. Because uh, according to Wikipedia, a premise is a claim, whereas premises is a pro- piece of is property. So apparently I need to be calling it on-premises, which I'm never going to get my head around. So <laughs> I was trying to think of a different word for it that makes sense. And I, can, I was thinking about calling it private TFS, because, you know, people talk about the private cloud. And like, oh, I think that's a great idea. Well, so did I. And like, a lot of the Europeans like it because it translates better into, you know, from English into, like native language but um but as you know with things like github and stuff you have the notion of public repos and private repos where where but they're all still hosted so don't know we think it might be a bit confusing so we'll see but i I like i like i think we should start a campaign to call it private tfs because i like it but nobody else does so there you go i wonder i wonder if private tfs.com is a Oh, well, that wouldn't. <laughs> that's a great character as well, isn't it? You can imagine the marketing campaign around private TFS and what the, the, the exploits he gets up to. So uh, it is. It is not currently registered. So if nobody oh. else steals it, I may go grab it <laughs> before I'll, I'll not post the show for a little while, Mickey. If you want to go grab it. <laughs> so, Greg, we had we've had a, a bunch of great um, reader feedback. Uh, well, listen, reader, sorry, <clears throat> listener feedback uh, through this week uh have you got anything else from the mailbag there yeah we've got a couple items uh, the first one is you know kind of near and dear to my heart you know for my sins you know i still live in the vb6 world and we had a reader um, anthony borton was installing the miski client we've talked about the miski client before that allows uh, legacy or or older systems to talk to tfs uh, for example vb6 
And he installed the MISCI client and installed VB6 and Team Explorer and all the service packs and everything. And he fires up VB6 and there is no Team Explorer connection. There's no team menu. There's, there's nothing. And, you know, it's like, okay, what do you do now? And, uh, you know, fortunately, I ran into that issue myself. And the fix is it's just a Google or a web search away, but, uh, there's a, a VB addin.any that you have to tweak. And you basically, that's VB looks at that and it looks for the add-ins that it's supposed to launch or, or instantiate. Um, and it looks in that any file. And if it sees the, the correct entries, it fires them up. So sometimes when you're installing the MISCI client, um, that file doesn't get updated. So uh, we've got references to that uh, tiny URL team, T E A M V B. 6.1, or I've blogged about this issue myself at tinyurl team vb62. And those talks about where to find the vb uh, addin.any and, and what you exactly add to it. Cool. So just a reminder for everyone, if you want to, if you want to send feedback in, obviously there's, um, Twitter to any of us, which, uh, you can get hold of through the website, Radio TFS. We have Radio TFS at gmail.com, the email address. And, um, I know that lots of people listen to the show while driving. So if you have a hands free kit and you want to send some feedback in or ask a question, then you can call us in America on 425-233-8379. There you go. And uh, we'll play your voicemails on the show if, if they're not too insulting. <laughs> So one of the other things is uh, yesterday when we were prepping for the show, I, I tweeted out saying, uh, ask if there's any questions that uh, our uh, listeners are, would like to hear uh, answered. And I uh, got one for you, Martin. And is, oh. it, is it, it's from Juan Zamudio. Okay. And is it possible to manage the security of builds individually? Oh, good question. So, um, I'm mm, I'm just looking at uh, Visual Studio right now, and I know um, there is a security tab. I think in Visual Studio, I'm actually trying to find a TFS 2010 server to talk to because <laughs> I'm uh, I'm currently pointing to a TFS 11 server, and um, it's certainly on in TFS 11 when I right click on the main like on my main build and do my main CI build and do security. I'm doing the permissions for the main CI build, and I can say, you know, if you can queue a build and um, and that sort of thing. I think that was new for TFS 11. I think uh, the only security menu in T in Visual Studio 2010 is when you right-click on the... When you do security, it's security for all builds. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Yes, so, I would no, agree with that. Okay, there you go. So, that, yeah, that is something that we fixed. Wow, look at that. That's, so you need to go to TFS 11 whenever it comes out, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. But, um, yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check that while we're talking and, and, and deny myself permissions from a build and see what happens. But uh, <laughs> it certainly seems to be working. Look at that. That's crazy. Good stuff for the build team. Woohoo! Really. One of the other things that I saw, um, we've got one more uh, user uh, listener feedback, but we'll cover that at the end because there's a good discussion topics. But one of the other things I wanted to talk about today is I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Clemens Ryzen. R E I J. It's Clemens. MVP Clemens. Clemens. We know him very well. He's a good. He's a good guy. Yeah, exactly. 
I don't know uh, how to say his surname either. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been writing a bunch of great articles. And he listens to the show as well. I know he does it for oh, a fact. Hey. So there you go. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no problem. No, shout out to him, man. Uh, he's been just doing uh, gangbusters on articles, uh, a number of TFS 11 articles. And if you guys are um, interested in reading more about TFS 11, and there's a lot of, lot of new features. Uh, like uh, there's one of the articles was a scrum board update. Um, you know, they're requesting, there's a requesting feedback one. He's talking about the teams and TFS groups uh, as it relates to the backlog and board settings. Uh, just, you know, he's, he seems to be rolling these out almost daily. And then just recently, he started another series um, that he's on four of right now. It's getting testing done in a sprint. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when we're doing our sprints or our iterations, it's kind of a constant push and pull. You know, the developers kind of want to be dropping code on day day end of the sprint, and the testers are going, "Uh, uh, uh, you know, uh, you need to give me something stable to test. So, you know, he talks about this and, um, you know, how to try to get the best of both of those worlds in one iteration. I'm going to have a read of that article because, yeah, we we do have exactly the same issues. And, you know, we when we used to have big longer sprints, so when we used to originally be sort of six-week sprints, mm-hmm. and when we did that, we, we introduced something into our stories, which was like a tested by date, which I didn't like. It felt very unscrummy. You know, it, it, it didn't. It didn't seem right to do that, but um, yeah, we added it because we needed to make sure when we were doing sprint planning that we we spread out the work. So maybe we pulled something off the backlog sooner than the business priority would be, just so that we could you know even out the amount of work that was going to test at one across the whole sprint. But um, yeah, recently we've tended to just do stuff in business priority order um, and. Make sure it finishes within the sprint boundary, obviously. Uh, but mm-hmm. then um, sometimes it won't be completely finished testing. You know, we'll be finished. We'll be done what we, we think we're done, but we haven't validated it. You know, so we, we don't call the we call the story resolved, but not uh, not closed. Um, and we don't demo it and we don't report it to management until as being done until the following sprint when we're done testing on it as well and fixed any you know p1 p2 bugs that sort of thing so oh i'm interested in seeing what clemens says and what he recommends i'll go, I'll go take a look at that article thanks Greg. great yeah you can find the article at tiny url getting testing done oh great url fantastic well done <laughs> <laughs> super so we've got we've got one more reader question okay that we got in the mail which was um, about using the TFS proxy as a backup. So he basically asks that says, "Hey, we're a small organization, and to my understanding, TFS backs up. Um, the backup does the backup of analysis server, reporting server, and SharePoint, in addition to source control. But they care most about doing source code and concerned with bandwidth costs of a daily backup. Mm-hmm. So is it logical to set up a proxy server at an offsite location that pings the server for code changes?" Hmm. Well, what do you guys think? I, I, I've got some opinions of this, but what, what do you think, first of all? I think that's it probably won't work. I, I, you know, the way I understand proxy server to work is that it's the first request of that uh, for source code against that proxy server. It will go out and talk to the original server, to the main server, and pull that data in. And then subsequent requests will, will work off of that local proxy. So, to try to 
you know, you would have to basically write something to go out and get your source tree every so often to make sure that that local copy is fresh. And, and the other more important side, if you're trying to use that as an offsite replication, which is, it sounds kind of like what they're doing, is that there's no way to restore it. Yeah. That's the big thing. I mean, you could set up something where it would, like I said, where the proxy would grab the stuff and pull it over. But mm-hmm. if you have a if you have a disaster and something takes out your data center, like you said, how do you? you it's not like you're getting a. I mean, yeah, you're going to have instant access to the latest version of your files. That's great, but you're not going to be able to put that back, easily put that back in TFS to be able to keep working with it. So now, if you, yeah. if you're going to be automating a script to get stuff, well, you might as well just automate a full get and zip it up and put it on Dropbox or something. You know, yeah. it's so yeah. The the way because when you talk to the proxy server, um, it still gets all the metadata about you know what's the latest version, what are the files called, all that sort of thing. It gets all that data from the application tier still, and then it gets from the application tier a bunch of download URLs, and then the client takes those download URLs and there's some encryption stuff built in there and and it takes the download URLs and requests those from either the application tier or from the proxy server if it's got one configured in the client um, and so the proxy server downloads the binaries and it just knows about hey if I want like a uh, version 4 of item you know 126 then I get it from this location on disk and give it give it to the person because I've because I've got it already locally, it doesn't know anything about um, what that what that blob of data. It doesn't know anything about what that blob of data is. You know which file it is, uh, where it was in version control, what security permissions were on it, any of that metadata. All that's stored in the database, unfortunately, in TFS. So um, now, interestingly, back in Team Prize 1.0, the very 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 first release we had a Team Prize, we actually had um, a bug. In the very first release we shipped, um, and it was that um, when we did the check-in to Team Foundation Server, we were part of the part of the send. You know, when you send your file up to TFS, mm-hmm. part of the send includes um, it's like a big what you, you send the you send a zip archive of the binary data, and you also send um, a file length up as well. And so we um, looked at the the you know we we were sending this data up, um, but unfortunately we were sending the um, the size of the zip file up, and it turns out that the protocol actually wanted us to send the size of the uncompressed zip file up, and the reason for that is you can create a zip file maliciously. You could create a zip file that actually infinitely expanded and oh. and filled up the disk. And so as a, as a security precaution, um, the server asks you for the – well, the server wants you to send the size of it unzipped. So that if it ever needs to un, it, when it ever needs to unzip that zip file, it stops at the file size you've told it your uncompressed data is going to be. But we were telling it how big the compressed data is going to be. Now, it gets even worse because um, – the way TFS works and the way the like the proxies work, the TFS application tier actually has a version of this proxy code running on the application tier. And so when you post when you post your zip file up containing your source file, it keeps that as a zip file, um, and it doesn't depack it, it doesn't uncompress it or anything because it doesn't need to yet. Um, it just keeps it there as a cache. And the next time somebody requests it, 
it just serves back up that zip file again and goes here you go i've got it already mm. compressed i don't need to recom i don't need to do it I, you know i don't need to rebuild or anything i just send it to you and so it sends you back the zip file and so to begin with you're getting the data and everything looks good and there's no problems at all however um over time as your disk gets full on your tfs server and if you've got a you know a reasonably sized server it takes a long time for your disk to start to fill up once that cache gets uh you know old and and data once cleared out of it it takes all these files that have been uploaded to tfs and it, it does what call it it deltifies them it, it is a deltification process and it takes the original version of the file and it just stores in the database it, or it actually does this um all the time but it you know it, it it stores the difference between the original version and the next version you check in it just stores the delta the way it does that, interestingly, it actually uses the same engine that's used the Windows updates. You know, the the patch file sort of mm -hmm. thing. That that's the that's the code which gets invoked because that's like well, you know, proven and trusted code for managing differences between uh, binaries. Is 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 this the Windows update engine? So yeah, it uses that on the server to deltify differences between check-ins. Um, does it all the time, a little background job, and then as I say, when the cache gets old, it removes files out of the cache. A long story, but um, <laughs> back in the day of TeamPrize 1, because we had this problem, we had these zip files, we were giving it the wrong length. When it was deltifying the code, it was actually stopping at like halfway uh. through the file because we <laughs> zipped it. And so it was truncating the files as it was deltifying them, but it wasn't what well, we didn't notice that for an awfully long time until the cache got cleared out. Uh. And so we only had like three customers were affected by this because by the time we noticed the problem most people's caches hadn't run out yet and so we were able to roll out a fix um, but we had to, we ended up having to work with the Team Foundation server team that was back before we were part of the company and they actually wrote a script which could go to your proxy server applications here and go get the binary you know the zip file because it mm -hmm. hadn't been cleared out of that cache and it could go get those and rebuild the file contents from a proxy server AT. Well, that's because it already had the metadata in the databases. So, long story. But yeah, it, it could rebuild it, but it was it involved like the ninja skills of a guy called Chandru, who like just knows everything about the inner working of, of version control in TFS and SQL and stuff. Um, and was and I wouldn't recommend it. And nobody else has got that script. <laughs> so, um, long story. But the um, if you're doing backups, the best thing to do is. Um, Again, hate hate to plug the book, but uh, Grant Holiday, who we mentioned, wrote a great chapter, uh, chapter nineteen in the TFS twenty ten book about backing up TFS. And um, but basically, the most important thing you need to back up is your data tier. And and uh, Cpand was the guy who sent the mail was saying that he's already got backups his backups of SharePoint separately and stuff like that. So yeah, just take a backup of the data tier databases. Um, and you can, if you're worried about bandwidth. You can do, you know, incremental backups and transaction log backups and stuff and all that SQL stuff if you really want to, um, to, uh, to, to, to minimize the, the data you need to back up sort of in each day, you know, and then, and then weekly do like a full SQL backup or just do a full, what we used to do at TeamPrize again when I worked in a real company, in a, in a, in a small company. We used to do full backups every, um, uh, we did full backups every night and then every week, we would swap the tapes uh, with a, in the bank vault, and so we would we would do offsite backups, you know, once a week. So if the worst happened, we would have lost say a week's worth of work. But otherwise, we just had a backup for that, you know, if it was a fire sort of thing or a flood. 
So that was the way we did it. <laughs> so Martin, I've come up with a new challenge. I want to lock you in a closet with a laptop for a weekend and see how much of TFS you can rewrite from scratch. Because by oh. golly, you know freaking everything. <laughs> uh, sadly, not as much as Grant or Chandra or anybody like that. So there we go. Anyway, sorry, that was a bit, bit of a long, uh, a long tail for you there. But no, uh, no uh, back great. in the day. So uh, anything else, uh, Greg, before we wrap up? We're getting to the half yeah. hour mark. Yeah, there's a a new thing that we kind of want to start doing. It's uh, uh, highlighting some past events, uh, be them Microsoft-sponsored events or other ALM or TFS-related events. And we're coming into that time of year, you know, the conference time of year, where there's going to be a lot of events. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the uh, ALM Summit from uh, 2011. Uh, we talked about this in show 33. And there's a huge, no- not a huge number, but there's a number of great uh, sessions in there and what's nice about these sessions is they're they're not all tfs they're not all marketing spiel they're not all um you know uh, uh, inside the microsoft sphere stuff so one of the first ones we're going to highlight is called the session alm in the jungle and i do not have that tiny url oh yes i do um no i don't i lied Uh, we'll have that in the show notes um, but this session, it, it kind of talks about, uh, you know, what are some of the key lessons learned in open source ALM and, and uh, how to apply some of those lessons, some of those practices, uh, the architecture patterns and strategies. And they're looking at some, you know, real world things that happened. You know, it's a short session, about an hour long. But yeah, I, I saw that and I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. Cool. So we'll, and if you go to aka.ms slash ALM Summit, that'll actually take you to the Channel 9 page where you can see all the videos from the ALM Summit, and then you'll be able to find it from there. It's one of the featured ones, actually. It seems to have been quite popular. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I was just checking as well. Sorry if I sounded distracted then when you were talking, Greg. But definitely <laughs> the permission stuff definitely works down to the build definition level in TFS 11. So, uh, yep, you get inherited allow and allow and stuff, and you control it on the individual builds. So there we go. Ah. Great. Very good. Brilliant. Well, I think that's about it, guys. So, uh, yeah, just again, if anyone's got any feedback, send that along to radiotfs at gmail.com or you can phone us in the United States, which is plus one for all you international people, uh, 425-233-8379. So thanks very much, and we'll speak to you next time on Radio TFS. can go in the outtakes. Okay, sorry, let's go.